Uh, some of you know uh, Kita Andrews. Anyone know Kita? Okay, so some of you, this row knows Kita. So Kita in the 1970s was a te- teenager. He was in trouble. As an African-American kid in a bad neighborhood in the city, he was into drugs, he was dealing drugs, and things got from wor- bad to worse. And so one day he decided he had had enough. And after high school, he came home, and his parents were still at work, and he went into his father's closet, pulled out his father's gun, put the gun in his mouth, and was about to end it all. Before he pulled the trigger, the phone rang. And by habit, he put the gun down and uh, went and answered the phone, went to the wall and got the phone off the wall, which boggles my kids' minds that there's still, that there was such a thing, but uh, got, answered it. And uh, the, the woman on the other end said, sir, do you have a few minutes? I, I'm, I'm doing a survey of houses in your neighborhood. And when Kita tells the story, he says, I was suicidal, but I wasn't rude. And so he said, sure, I'll answer your questions. And she began to answer, uh, ask many questions, and some of which were, were spiritual questions, like, uh, is there a church in your neighborhood within walking distance? And he's like, well, yeah, I think so. And do you guys go to church? No, we don't go to church. She's like, okay, well, just one more question. Do you guys have a Bible in your home? And he thought, well, yeah, we got that giant holy Bible that's like 200 pounds with the gold edges on it. It's sitting in our family room, never gets open. And he's like, so yes, we do. And she said, okay, and, and do you ever read the Bible? He's like, no, we don't read the Bible. He said, okay, well, thank you for your time today, sir. Uh, and, you know, if you ever do, let me just encourage you uh, to read the Gospel of John. He's like, okay. So he hangs up the phone. He heads back to uh, get the gun again, picks up the gun, and he said, uh, as he put the gun in his mouth for a second time, he had a thought, where am I going once I pull the trigger? And then he had a second thought. Well, maybe that book that she talked about has the answer. And I'm still going to do this, but I'm going to figure out where I'm going to go first. So he put the gun back. And he went and got the big, dusty, giant Bible and took it to his room and and opened to the Gospel of John. And and he began to read John. And and he read chapter 1 and 2. And he he read more and more and more. And he finished John's Gospel. And then he's like, well, the next one's called Acts. And he read the book of Acts. And he finished that. And then he read the book of Romans. And he read late into the night. And he fell asleep in his bed with this giant Bible in his bed. And something happened there. Well, the Bible describes it. Uh, he was a new creation. The old has, had gone and the new had come, though he couldn't put it in those terms in, those, in that moment. So he, he woke up the next day still in the clothes that he had from the day before, uh, still in trouble with d- drug dealers in his neighborhood. But he took the Bible with him uh, to the bus stop and everyone's like, Kita, what, what are you doing? He's like, I'm reading this. There's, there's, there's something to this. And he's reading on the bus and he's reading between classes and he's reading after classes. And everyone's just scratching their head. What's up with with Kida, he was transformed. He, he was brought from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the sun God loves in that moment. Again, he couldn't put terms to that, but fast forward 20 years. Now he's a pastor. 
He's a pastor of a church that I uh, was going to uh, as, a, as a new believer called Colorado Community Church. He's the missions pastor, and I'm at school up at Colorado State University, and he's coming up to speak at the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so he contacts all the Colorado Community College students, says, I'm, I'm coming up. I'd like to meet with you guys. And so he, he takes us out to Chili's, and, and just uh, we just pepper him with questions, and I ask question after question after question, and he invites me to email him and meet with him and, and and from there, uh, just this relationship was, was growing and more. And he's pouring his life and his knowledge of the scriptures, which is mighty, into me. And um, then he just becomes a source of, uh, of God direction and wisdom in, our, in my life. And then in our lives with Jennifer and I. And the reason I tell that story is in what world is that even possible? A gangbanger, drug dealer, drug addict from the inner city uh, would come and mentor a, a white college kid from the suburbs. Only in the church is that possible. Only in a church does God bring people, like we talked about, uh, from far last week and near, and brings them in, and they are family together, and he does a, a beautiful thing in the church. And so we started this series last week called simply The Church. Not very creative, but uh, that's what we're calling it. We're calling it The Church. And I said at the beginning, I want to lay down my cards. My hope and my prayer for myself and for all of you is that through this series that your, your affections, your love for, your commitment to, your valuing of the church would just skyrocket. Because as we head off into our second year as a church, we need to understand what it is we're even doing. And so we began to ask the question last week, well, what is the church? And we looked at it, and there's lots of answers. There's the 30,000-foot answer. The church universal is the people of God, no matter where they're at. But then there's, we're drilling down to local expressions of the church. And the Bible tells us a lot of how we're to go through that. But I said last week there were some hurdles we have to come against in this culture if we're going to talk about the church, the first one is uh, all of us are consumers. Like uh, we, we breathe, the air we breathe is consumer. We, we like things. I like things. You like things. And that's not a bad thing except for when it becomes the ultimate thing and becomes the thing that we soak in and bring it into the church. It becomes a destructive thing, our consumeristic mindset. Like what is the church doing for me kind of mindset? Well, the, the second one was just that... Um, some of you in this room have been deeply wounded by the church. Like, it's a miracle that you're even here. And, and if you haven't, it's probably because you haven't committed yourself to the church. You haven't really dug in deep because uh, we said last week the church is a mess because it's full of sinners growing in Christ together. And if we're a healthy church, we're going to have a brand new baby Christians and we'll have mature and older. But um, if we don't, then we're not a healthy church. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I met someone and they were telling me, oh, yeah, we go to church somewhere. And his first comment about the church was, we like to go to it because the, the kids in that church are well-behaved. like, are you serious? He said, yeah, that's important to us. I'm like, well... That's a ridiculous criteria <laughs> because, listen, the church is a mess. And, and, and if we enter into the mess, it can be a, a beautiful mess. But we just said, I want to recognize the wounds are real on both sides. Like I said, so many of my friends from seminary are not in the church anymore because it's a mess and they couldn't handle it. 
But nonetheless, it is God's plan A for you and for the world, and there is no plan B. The hope of Parker, the hope for your family, the hope in the world is the church. And so the the last hurdle we had to overcome was just this desire and maybe uh, this conditioning that we get in the church that I'm going to go and I'm going to get three quick things to fix my life, to fix my marriage, to fix my money, whatever the case may be. And uh, now you're going to talk about the church. And I said, actually, if you understand the role of the church, then God's most tangible means for meeting you in all those places is through the church. And if anyone's had a, a, a good experience with the church, if anyone's really dove in, then they know that experience that when, when things go wrong, when you get sick, when you get cancer, when, when all the, the church will rally behind you. The church will pray for you. They'll mow your lawn. They'll bring you meals. They'll, they'll do whatever is necessary as a family for God. And so last week, we looked at four metaphors, just the big metaphors in the New Testament. The first one is, is that it is a family of God, that Kita and I are family, that, that the girl in India that has two kids and is 17 years old, but a, a worshiper of Jesus, I have more in common with her than I do with my best friends growing up because we have family together. Uh, last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, and, and this family is built on the Word of God and on Jesus as the cornerstone, and He is what unites us. It's not a political cause. It's not a social justice cause. It's, none of those things can unite us because we'll, we'll disagree on all those things, but Jesus and His grace establishes and grows the church, and we said the church is the body of Christ so that if you're a follower, no matter how old you are, you have a role to play, and we need you to play that role. We don't need you to be a spectator. You said that the church is a house and temple of God. This would have blown the first century Jewish minds. No, the temple was where you went to a few times a year in Jerusalem. That was God's unique presence. But in the new covenant, we'll see that all changes. The temple is no longer a place, but a people. The spirit of God comes into our lives. And so wherever we go, the temple of God goes with us. That has massive implications for how we live and relate to one another and and how we are going to reach Parker because we're not going to, but God will through us. So we're the temple of God. And finally, we looked at this metaphor that I want to talk about more this today, that we are the bride of Christ. (laughs) And I said last week, I'll be honest, as a dude, I don't don't love that analogy, uh, but I need to back up from that and just say, oh, well, well, what does that mean that God would set his affections on the church? Think about this for a moment. A lot of times I talk to people and they're like, I like God. I I just don't want anything to do with his church. Or, I like God, I just don't want any uh, organized religion. Like, what, do you want disorganized religion? Like, what, what does that even look like? Uh, what it means is, I, I'm just going to do this on my own with God. God never set it up that way. And to, to say, well, I love God, but I, I, don't, wanna, I, I don't love the church, that, that'd be like you coming up to me and being like, Mark, hey, you, you're great. You know, we're tight. But, but Jennifer, she's ugly. And, uh, man, she really wounded me before. And, you know, I want to be in a relationship with you, Mark, but she is a mess, and I don't want anything to do with her. Man, I would punch you in the head because, (laughs) listen, that's my bride. I've set my affections on her. And so uh, it's a package deal with us. And so um, 
That's what God is saying. This amazing thing that in spite of how messed up we are, in spite of how we're just stumbling along, God loves the church. He really loves the church. And those of us that have trusted in Jesus, you have the Spirit of God in you. The Spirit loves the things that the Spirit loves. And we would do well to walk in step with the Spirit to love the things that the Spirit loves. But why does God do this? Well, I think one of the things that every week we're trying to do here. Is, is to go deep in this. Not because we can then say, well, we're a deep church or we, 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 we value theology. No, we, we go deep because we want to experience the richness of God's grace and mercy and knowledge of God. And <clears throat> oftentimes when we think of the gospel in the church today, we have a very shallow view of the gospel. We think, oh, Jesus came, he lived, he died to pay for my sins somehow. I'm not quite sure how that worked on the cross. Uh, and he rose again, and I believe that, and I get to go to heaven when I die. Now, all of that is true, but it's all about two inches deep on the ocean that is the depth of the gospel. To understand the depth really is to understand this whole book where God is coming from. And what we begin to see is that God is a God of covenant. God makes covenants. God keeps his covenants. And the beautiful news of the gospel is that God enables us, empowers us to be covenant keepers ourselves. So we have to understand covenant because we're going to walk out there and the ubiquitous world that we live in is not covenant, but contract. So you enter into a thousand different contracts every month. You, it's, a contract is not relational. It's, it's around a set of services. And so uh, you have a cell phone bill. You get internet. You have a, if you have a mortgage, you went into a contract. If you have a lease, it's a contract. But you're not in relationship with Sprint. You're in a contract with Sprint, if that's your carrier. And so one day you decided you wanted a cell phone, you wanted a smartphone, and so you went online or you went into the store and you said, here's what I'm looking for. And they're like, okay, how many minutes? Uh, we'll give you unlimited. Here's high-speed data. And you began to work this out. And they're like, if you join this plan, every two years you can have a new phone. Your, your old phone will be fine, but if you want to be cool, you get the new phone every two years. And you're like, oh, that sounds good. How much is that? They're like, it's $80. And you're like, okay. But you didn't read the fried print because you went home, you, you used the phone, and then you got a bill for like $3,842 because, oh, there's all these add-ons. But nonetheless, you're in a contract. And, and so imagine, if you will, one day, or, or even right now, you, you go to check your Facebook and, and don't act like none of you do. Um, because I'm watching you, right? Yeah, so some of you are on the download, checking your Facebook. I I'm not here to judge. I've done it. Um, and so, but what happens if all of a sudden it doesn't open up? And you're like, that's strange. And so you, you, you send a text and, and you get the little red dot, not delivered. And you're like, what? And you look up and it says, Sprint, no service. And you're like, oh, well, I got to turn off my phone, turn on my phone, and not, still no service. And, and we can't, and now you're getting anxious because we can't live without our smartphones. And so you're like, I'm after church, I'm not even talking to anybody. I'm going to the Sprint store to figure what's going on here. This is not right. And so you go down to the store and you go in and you're like, hey, what's up with this? And they're like, ah, we're not into that anymore. You're like, you're not into that. What do you mean? We have a contract. Ah, uh, nah. And you're like, okay, well, I'm going to have to go to a Verizon or something. And so you leave there. And what happens at the end of the month? You still get the bill from Sprint. Are you paying that thing? No, of course you're not paying that. 
Your argument is the contract was broken. Therefore, you're not obligated to pay it anymore, right? So that's contractual living. But notice in the list of things, mortgages, lease, internet, all those things, uh, subscriptions, I didn't throw in marriage because marriage is not contractual. It's covenantal. There are some similarities, but but one's around services, one's around relationship. Marriage is covenantal, and we know this inherently that it's covenantal, right? Like, it's the exceptions that prove the rule. There's a whole industry growing of people that are marrying themselves. They're having ceremonies and doing all, but, but that's impossible. Jennifer told me this week that some woman married a chandelier. Okay, so... It was, oh, there you go. I'll just give this up right now. That's awesome. I don't even know how to go from there. Um, Yeah. So when you hear that, not that joke, but uh, when you hear uh, they're marrying themselves, they marry a chandelier, what your, your instinct is, well, she's an idiot. He's an idiot. It's the exception that proves the rule. That's not a covenant. You can't make a covenant with yourself. You can't make a covenant with a chandelier. Maybe you can, but um, so, so we, we know that. No, there, anyone got any scheduled uh, weddings to go to this summer? Anyone? A few? Okay. Everyone's been to a wedding before? Okay. So there's this moment in the ceremony where everyone goes, ah, that's because the bride and the groom, they're no longer facing the crowd or facing the pastor. They, they turn and they face each other and they exchange vows. And the vows are always covenantal vows, or, or they should be. That's what you're expecting. They're always covenant vows. But imagine in that moment, if you're in, in the wedding this summer, and they turn to face each other, and, and the, they begin to repeat their vows. And he says, with this ring, I thee wed, and I promise to work a job I'm going to hate as long as you have dinner ready five nights a week. And she's like, okay. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I promise to uh, have dinner ready five nights a week as long as you make enough money and we can go out on the weekend and I want two weeks of beach vacation a year. You're like, all right, woman. Uh, I'll tell you what, you can have your two weeks beach vacation, but I get a week hunting with my friends. Well, okay, but I, I need some shopping money. And so they just back and forth. You'd be like, what is going on in this moment? And, and when they let out, you would like make a beeline for the gift table to get your gift back because that thing's going to end up in a garage sale in six months because you know that's a disaster. Contractual living is a disaster. That's in marriage. Now, um, no, the vows are covenantal. They're, I, I pledge, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer. You know, we've been married 19 years. We've experienced both sides of that equation. <laughs> like we, in seminary, we went to the food bank that, that gave poor people food, and uh, on Tuesdays, we had $2 Tuesday. We said, uh, whatever we make for a family, it has to cost less than $2, because that's how we're going to get by. Uh, and, and so there was poor, and, and then there's been some richer, but uh, in sickness and in health, in good times and bad, till death do us part. It's covenantal. You're making covenant promises before people, before each other, and before God in that moment. Now, um, 
then we start to see what, what God is getting at. In Ephesians 5, Paul is, is writing to the church at Ephesus. He's teaching about husbands and wives, and he's talking about this covenantal na- nature. Now, in, in 5.32, uh, he says this at the end. He says, this, is a, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What Paul is saying there is, is that when you understand marriage, you understand the church. And when you understand the church, you understand marriage. This is why in, if, you, like, if anyone's been married longer than a month, then you've experienced when you've tried to bring contractual attitude into your marriage as opposed to a covenantal attitude. I mean, we've all done this. Man, I don't think she's doing enough. You know, I did these things and these things, and, and I'm going to pull back because she's not doing enough. And, he, and she's thinking, he's an idiot. Uh, he doesn't see all these things that I am doing. And, and then she gets her list, and you get your list. And all of a sudden, what was covenant becomes contractual, and it just begins to break down. The same is true in the church. When, when, when we show up here and we're like, okay, this better be, meet my needs. Okay, somebody better serve me. Somebody better greet me. I'm here. Like, Pastor, you, you, better, you better speak directly to me. Or uh, Not that I do tithe, but if I did, I wouldn't anymore, and I'm not going to come back. <laughs> like, we, we, if we're not careful, we can bring that attitude into this place of, uh, because we, we live in a contractual world. But Jesus, Paul, God is saying, understand marriage, understand church. Understand the church, understand marriage. It's covenant. It's covenant. So we don't come in, who, who's going to greet me? We think, we, we pray on the way over here, Lord, let me encourage someone today. Give me eyes to see someone I can greet. Help, help me to, to see how I can serve. And, and as, we, as I drive here, I try to pray that, not only for this church, but for all the church. I pass like 12 churches on the way here, and I pray, Lord, make much of Jesus in that place. Let those people serve and love one another in that place. And I pray that, here as well. Uh, one time I was with some friends uh, in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and it was Sunday, and we decided to go to church, and we went to the, the, the very large uh, international church called The Gathering in Chiang Mai, and it was met in a big hotel, and we went there, and a lot of people coming in. Of course, we're from out of town. We're new, and so um, we go in there, and for whatever reason, maybe they don't have official greeters, whatever, they didn't have greeters. And, and at first, as we went in, um, my friend, who's very sensitive to that, is like, man, there's no greeters here. And he's a little bit upset. I'm like, Ron, just chill out. And uh, so I'm talking to someone else. And then I look over, and he's standing in the middle of the foyer. And he's like, hey, welcome to the gathering. My name's Ron. We're glad you're here. Hey, we're glad to see you again. Welcome to the gathering. My name's Ron. And, and he becomes the greeter. That's well, that should be our attitude. Like, is the, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And he says, you should have the same attitude. That's covenantal. That's how, how can I give myself away? How can I lift other people up? That's good for your marriage. That's good for the church. Well, we have to understand what, what is covenant then if we're going to get this. There's several covenants in the um, in the, throughout the Bible. Oh, I, I found this quote by Francis Chan. I thought it was so good. Again, when you understand marriage, you understand the church. He says this, your best shot at having a beautiful marriage is if both of you make it your goal to become like Jesus. Our best shot at having a beautiful church is if all of us make it our goal to become more like Jesus.
So let's look at some covenants. I don't have time to dig into this, but, but throughout the Bible, there's covenants going on. There's covenants between people, there's covenants between kingdoms, uh, and there, at least six times there's a covenant with, with God and his creation or his people. And so in these covenants, when you begin to understand the covenants, you begin to see the gospel is so much richer and deeper than you could ever imagine. Uh, um, I'm trying to think what, need to, what I need to cut out. Let's ju- just jump to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, God begins to make what's called the Abrahamic covenant. He makes a covenant with Abraham. At this point in the story, sin has entered in the world. Things have gone from bad to worse. The world is a mess. And there's this random guy in the land of Ur, think modern day Iraq, who God in his sovereign electing grace says, hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Here's exactly what he says. Verse 1 of chapter 12. <clears throat> now the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now there's some promises going on. Did you see it? It says, uh, this old man who doesn't have kids, he says, I'm going to take you out of the land you're at, and and you are going to have a kid. And out of those, uh, it's going to be a major offspring. It's going to shoot out. But uh, in the end, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now that's what you have to understand first and foremost of the promise to Abraham. It's going to be a blessing to the entire world. Well, you go on and the the terms of the covenant continue to get worked out in terms of land and other things. Well, in Genesis chapter 15, uh, he, he ratifies the covenant. So in the ancient Near East, you didn't make a covenant, you cut a covenant. <clears throat> so to cut a covenant was to symbolize literally what happened. In Genesis 15, he tells Abram, he says, take, take a bull, take a goat, take a ram, and take some birds. Now imagine all of them up on the stage. Kill them, cut them in half, and create uh, uh, two rows of dead animal carcass so that in the middle is a kind of a stream, a path of blood. Okay, in the ancient Near East, if two kings, they would make some agreements. They would say, we will do this and we would do that. And at the end, they will say, okay, what's going to happen if we don't keep the covenant? And they would sacrifice the animals and they would grab hands together and they would walk through the bloody path of the animals as a symbol that's saying, if either of us break this covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to us. I mean, it's a big deal. It was, let's, we're, we're going to give our lives to this. Now, in Genesis 15, something very interesting happens. He has Abram do all that. He, he sets up all the bloody carcasses of the animals. But then he puts Abram to sleep, into a deep sleep, he says. And while Abram's asleep, God takes the walk between the animals. Now, here's why that's significant. God is saying, I'm going to create the covenant I'm going to keep the covenant. And even if you don't keep the covenant, the penalty, the curse of breaking the covenant is going to fall on me. I will tear my life apart to make sure this covenant is fulfilled. Well, obviously, that gets fulfilled in Jesus. 
Jesus doesn't walk between the sacrifices. He walks the bloody path to the cross to be the sacrifice. The curse of the covenant of of the broken people of God falls on Jesus is what it says. Anyone who's hung on a tree is is cursed of God. Galatians 3.16 says, Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant. So so God says, I'm going to bless all the people of the earth. And he says that he's going to do it by Jesus. Now, here's a, here's a really cool thing. You're, the kids that are in the, uh, the kids' room today, they're memorizing a verse. They're memorizing Acts chapter 1, verse 8. After the resurrection, Jesus comes, and he says, you will be my witnesses in, Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. So the complete fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, you know how that happens? Through you. Through you. You are going to be the blessing to all the families of the earth. It's an amazing thing. But now if, if God just forgave our sins and cleansed us, that would be amazing and praiseworthy forever. But the new covenant now comes onto the scene and it's even better. And we already read it this morning, but let me just go through that a little bit. Uh, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel talks about it as well. Jesus talks about it, but it's this, Ezekiel, or Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within, their, within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember them their sin no more. Ezekiel says, I will take their heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. I will, I will replace their spirit with my spirit. And that gets fulfilled again in Jesus. In fact, uh, just a little hint, newsflash here. They all get fulfilled in Jesus in different ways. But as Jesus comes and sends his spirit on us, he's fulfilling the covenant that everyone that, that knows the Lord has the spirit and is regenerate. So it's not like the old covenant where people were, were part of, uh, of the, the community. And whenever God makes a covenant, he gives them a, a sign. So for our, our marriages, we, we, in the West at least, we exchange the wedding ring. It doesn't make me married, but it tells the world I'm in covenant with someone. Uh, to, to Noah, he comes and he says, I'm never going to destroy the earth again because through you I'm going to uh, rescue and redeem the earth. And he gives them a sign. Anyone know what the sign is? A rainbow, right. He comes to Abraham and he says, and here's going to be the sign of the covenant that you must obey. I mean, anyone know what that is? Ah, here we go. Circumcision. <laughs> Abraham's like, Noah got a rainbow. <laughs> could, we, could we come up with a secret handshake or something like that? But it was external. But in the new covenant, the sign is you have the Spirit of God in you. So how is that possible? Well, it's... It will be fully possible on the other side of eternity, but now it is possible. We don't have to sin. We have the Spirit in us. And so throughout the New Testament, there's 
All these commands to walk in step with the Spirit so that your spirit and the Spirit's spirit uh, is going together. 59 times in the New Testament, there are these what are called one another verses. I'm not going to teach on all of them right now, but I'm going to read all of them. And understand this. Think about what God is calling the church to through, through these. I'll have them on the screen here. 59 times, one another. Be at peace with one another. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. 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 Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. When you come together to eat, wait for one another. Be concerned for one another. Greet one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Serve one another in love. Do not devour one another. Do not provoke one another. Carry one another's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Do not lie to one another. Bear with one another. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and overflow for one another. Love one another. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Encourage one another daily. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Encourage one another. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against one another. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another deeply. Offer hospitality to one another. Each one should use whatever gift he has to serve one another. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Love one another. 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 59 verses. I don't know about you. I was going through that list and I'm like, wow, I, didn't, I haven't really put that to practice. I mean, I haven't greeted any of you with a holy kiss, but I mean, some of the other things as well. Now, how is this possible? Obviously, that's not our natural makeup. And so we have to understand God makes covenant, God keeps covenant, and God empowers covenant. So by the Spirit, those 59 uh, verses are not throwaway verses. We can actually do that together here and, and in our gospel communities and as we meet with one another. And so we need the Spirit. The other observation is just that there's 59 of them. I think God wants us to get this. That's why it's so important to read the Bible because He puts things on repeat and one another is on repeat. We, we exist for the glory of God and the joy of all people. Now, we can expand that just a little bit. We exist as a covenant community of faith for the glory of God and the joy of all people. Jesus says, as you love one another, 
That's going to be a witness to the world. God will be glorified. People will be satisfied in him. To that end, let me pray for us, and we'll come to this table. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. God, I pray that uh, your spirit would just prompt us uh, in the days and even minutes to come to show us what it means to love one another, care for one another, carry each other's burdens. Lord, I, I'm aware that even in this room right now, there's, there's people that are grieving, that are hurting. Uh, they'll be going to funerals this week and memorials. Uh, Lord, help us as a church to come alongside uh, the Evans family in that way. And Lord, I pray for just anyone else that we would be able to share each other's burdens, that we would confess our sins to each other, that we would be truly a, a covenant people, not a contract people. So God, we, we know that we need your spirit to do that in us. And so Holy Spirit, would you do that work in us now? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.